Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Let's get the party started. When was the last time you shit your pants? You think I'm a damn fool? I shit my pants last night. <laughs> it's a beautiful planet. Well, it's a moon. For sure. I'm sick and tired of all this bullshit. Put that in your package, What's up, everybody? Josh from the Clearing Waivers Podcast coming at you for another episode of the clearing waivers podcast hope everybody had a great week since the last time we saw you uh we have another special guest this week he's an old friend old friend of the pod at this point it's not kitty yet we have a third we have a third face on the screen at the moment he is an official friend of the pod he's a nerd he's done a lot of work in the lab now he's part fly Mr. Jeff Goldblum is with us. Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> thanks for joining us. No, we got Craig Stout, formerly of Arrowhead Pride, now with Let It Fly Media, covering the Chiefs. Craig, thanks for joining us this week, man. We uh, we are excited to have you. Excited to talk draft, and then you go and spring news on us. I tell know. Us, See, tell us what this is about here. You lined up Ken Swanson last week sure on did. the day that we were announcing that we were leaving Arrowhead Pride. So that's fun. So naturally, you had me scheduled for after mm-hmm. the draft to talk about it. And it was the day that we announced our partnership, KCSN, Kansas City Sports Network, partnered with Let It Fly Media, doing podcasts, daily newsletters. We're going to have film sessions. We're going to get player interviews. We're going to give you everything that you're used to out of Arrowhead Pride and more out of the three of us partnering with jeff allen mike devito bj kissel nick lecky like we're going to try and give you as much football knowledge as we have in our brains and luckily we have a lot of other people that know a lot more about football than we do like <laughs> jeff and mike that can come in and pick up some of the the tailing off that we have to do because we don't know everything so it's going to be nice to have everybody in there but should be fun should be uh, the goal is to just make everybody a little bit smarter of a football fan and that's been our goal with the ap lab all along now it's the kc laboratory so go find us out there we're going to be on youtube you're going to get to see our beautiful faces for the first time since we've been doing that so going to get to see that and we'll be on all your usual podcast platforms and then kcsn on substack go sign up it is free right now. We have not released a whole lot of details about that, but you will get updates via email from that as it comes in. That's my spiel. I'm done. So we can move I on to it. talking about the Chiefs now. I, I dig it. It's it, You guys were always giving us great information now, and I feel like it's going to be kind of like you mentioned, kind of next level having the guys that have on, been on the field, been immersed in professional football for as long mm-hmm. as DeVito and, and Jeff Allen have. Seems like Jeff Allen at least always has something to say to kind of 
not only like entertain you and he's a very entertaining guy, but he's also very insightful. So I'm very much looking forward to that, uh, to that marriage for sure. And then I know uh, what their podcast is going to be, what the podcast is going to be involving Jeff Allen. And I am more excited about that than anything that I am personally doing on the network. So yes. Yeah. Well, they were doing that cool thing with, uh, they just get, uh, like a player and just somebody random from their life. Like maybe Mm -hmm. it was a teammate in high school or maybe it was their cousin, maybe somebody that knew them really well. They had some awesome stories on that podcast. So they, they've already turned out so much good content at let it fly. Very excited to see what you guys bring to the table. And even if it's just the same old stuff, I think I'll be all right with that as well. We're going to try and take it up that extra notch. If sure. it's possible, we're going to try and take it up that extra You're, notch. I like it. Emerald Lagasse, right? You're going to yeah. bam it? Bam. That's a copyright thing. We should probably <laughs> probably not say that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But we uh, we wanted to touch base uh, coming week after the NFL draft. Chiefs made some, uh, some interesting choices, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> I would say that the first two were awfully polarizing amongst uh, Chiefs Kingdom as well as uh, your fellow co copodists copod hosts i don't know <laughs> i like that what the, <laughs> i don't know what the verbiage of that is going to be but um it was very polarizing so we wanted to get in touch with uh you to see you know we had kent last week kind of preview everything kind of seeing what they might go after and we obviously wanted to have you on to kind of help us you know uh, uh, figure out where they're headed from here this is what we did last year where you told us willie gay was Derek johnson not that we're trying to I, listen I said that the way he slips blocks is like Derek sure. Johnson. It's not I'm, what I heard. I'm Craig. personally crediting you guys with the reason why everybody want, it comes to me and says, hey, listen, you said this guy was Derek. It's you guys' fault. I'm blaming I you. I mean, this is really what we're here to do is stir the pot. <laughs> we're not here to enlighten folks or make them smarter. If anything, we're here to muddy the waters. That's hey, I'm really here for what it. we're here for. Let, hey, let's it, go. It took DJ a while to become the player that he became. Yep. I mean, he didn't come out. It did. He's guns it blazing. Did. Yeah. We'll hope that Willie Gay's still on that track. Look forward to it. Still holding you to it. Beat to the flames. It's, it's <laughs> happening. But uh, let's get into starting with the uh, the questions here. Kind of leading off with uh, kind of going into the offseason, it was no secret that the Chiefs had this O-line problem. They had two holes in the tackle at least, and they needed a little bit more oomph in the middle, if you will, in the interior there. They went and made some free agent signings with Kyle Long and Nick Nick Tooney. Not That's Nick right. Tooney, is it? Joe Tooney. There Joe Tooney. Joe you Tooney. Got, you got Thooney in your head, and yep. then you got it all switched up. I get it. I get this it. is what we're here. We're muddy in the waters, guys. <laughs> I tell you, we're not We're not here to, to make people smarter like you guys. Uh, they signed Tooney. They signed Long. They signed uh, uh, the center. Blythe. Austin Blythe. Blythe. There it is. Um, and then they made two picks in Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. Um, so they're out here uh, actively trying to reclaim the term, build that wall in yeah. front of Patrick Mahomes. So the question is, with the transformation of this offensive line seemingly being complete, how does this group compare to what they started out week one with uh, last year? Oh, man. Um, I do think that there's going to be some growing pains with this group, obviously. It's a group of guys that's never played before. Uh, Tooney's a very smart kid. So is Creed Humphrey. I, I'm calling Tooney a kid. Tooney's a veteran. <laughs> I, He's you a know, grown-ass man, Craig. To, to me, to me, they sure, are you know, sure, sure, much sure. younger. But um, Orlando Brown Jr., I, I mean, even if it is Kyle Long over 
over there. And let's call it Mike Rimmers, although I do think that Lucas Niang is going to get a fair shake at right tackle there. But let's call it Mike Rimmers just to ease that group into week one there. I think that there's going to be some communication errors. I think that there's going to be some issues with passing some guys off. It's going to take a little while to grow. So, no, I don't jump street because that group in 2020 even with Niang's opt-out and LDT's opt-out, I think that you saw a group of guys that had at least been in the room together for a long time. So the communication was there. They were able to pass some guys off. Now, at the end of 2020, into the 2021 Super Bowl, it's no contest. It's going to be this group because even if they go through the attrition that they went through last year, there is a significantly better second tier of offensive linemen in this group. And Brett Veach and Andy Reid and Andy Heck have made it a point to go out and spend lots of assets on this offensive line. They're getting a bunch of guys back from, you know, COVID stuff. This is going to be a much deeper group. We're not going to be talking about a guy that was an emergency spot starter at right guard. Now all of a sudden having to play right tackle because the right tackle that's in there as an emergency starter is moving to left tackle. Like, so many dominoes had to fall to get to where it is to the point where I don't even know any Chiefs fans that are mad at players for mm-hmm. how they played in the Super Bowl. Like that that was just an unenviable position for any of those guys to be in. It's not going to get there. Like they're going to have to have even more attrition than they went mm-hmm. through and a historic attrition last year to get to the point where they're starting that level of player in that level of game again. I'm just really anxious to see how quickly some of those rookies can come around, how quickly some of those veterans can get on the same page with each other. Cause I can see maybe a week five, week six sort of come up where all of a sudden Clyde Edwards Hilaire is having a couple 150 yard games. Patrick Mahomes doesn't really feel any pressure. You're starting to get into that rhythm because I do think that it will build. And obviously we know even defensive guy me knows that you got to keep the franchise upright. So I, as much as I'd like to pick on the fact that, you know, they spent all this money and all these assets on the offensive line, you cannot argue about keeping the franchise upright. As long as mm-hmm. Mahomes is upright, you got a chance to win the game, regardless of what my defense does. So yeah. I, I'm more than happy to spend an abundance of draft picks and you know money and everything like that on the offensive line. It sure seemed like a lot of the guys that they brought in and added had a lot of versatility and a lot of strengths in those versatile positions. It seemed like they are doing whatever it takes to make sure that they are not in the same position that they were walking in the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, Joe Tooney can play both guard positions. He can play tackle. He can play center. He's played all those at an NFL level. Mike Rimmers, I mean, even if he's not playing right tackle, played left guard and actually played pretty decently at left guard and right tackle last year. Like, I, I know everybody remembers the left tackle snaps, but he was pretty decent at <laughs> those other two. Niang has that right tackle length. Orlando Brown Jr. can play on either side. There's just... There's a whole lot of depth there and a whole lot of guys. Kyle Long can play right tackle. He was a pro yeah. bowl right tackle. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of depth, a whole lot of position switching that can happen and not having to worry about having such a significant step back. So, yeah, that's right. And here's the other part. Most of those guys are ridiculously durable. 
Like most of those guys haven't had huge injury seasons outside of Kyle Long, haven't had huge injury misses, and he took a year off to get his body healthy. So I do think look healthy. Oh yeah, it does. He he looks lean and mean. So I'm I'm really looking forward to having some durable like I hope that we don't see Trey Smith and he is healthy enough to play this season. That's that's mm-hmm. how good I want this group to be yep. able to be on the field and play together because I got high hopes for Trey Smith and yep. we'll get there. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it is it is a situation where I hope that they don't have to have that durability tested. But if they do, I feel a lot more comfortable this year. Yep. And I think all three of us in agreement. I think most of Chiefs Kingdom is in agreement with building this offensive line, like you said. Where if you're a defense, offense guy, whatever, protect 15 at all costs. Everyone's yeah. in agreement there. Let's get to the polarizing part that Josh Josh <laughs> referred to earlier. What's with that first pick? So you, I watch ESPN the for the the second day picks start. They go down the line with each of them, the guys. They say, "Who's your bang the table guy that you're saying give me this guy?" Desmond Howard says, "Our guy, Nick Bolton. He's banging the table to bring in Nick Bolton because that guy has a nose for the ball, hard hitter, tackle for Lost City. He's awesome. I'm getting pumped up thinking about it. The draft pick comes. I'm excited. Josh excited. Mizzou Nation excited. We turn on." We have bias coming out. We turn on the AT, AP Laboratory podcast, and the, the mood is not quite the same as what Josh and I are feeling, <laughs> what Mizzou Nation's feeling. And the, the, the key phrase uh, going around locally this year, this, this week, has been positional value, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. we hear a lot about how the, the problem with the pick there at 58 is Nick Bolton is, quote-unquote, a two-down back. You can't count on him in coverage. So why are we spending the high second round pick on him? And so I just want you to let's raise spirits once again with the the people that are knocking this pick down. Because when you listen to the Brett Veach interview, he says, you know, Nick Bolton staring at us us in the face right there at 58 and we can't pass him up. Andy Reid refers to him as a no brainer. Like it wasn't a tough selection at all. He's a no brainer at that point. So what do they see in him? How do they plan on using him to make him worth that 58 pick? he's worth it from the standpoint of you can have your Mike linebacker on a rookie deal. Now he may not ever be an elite coverage linebacker. I mean, his athletic testing certainly wasn't great and his coverage reps, his man coverage reps, let me be specific here. His man (laughs) coverage reps in college in the sec that has good athletes. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't great. Now, Every week, he's going to be seeing guys of that quality, of that athletic ability. So Mizzou asked him to do a lot more zone hook drops. That makes perfect sense. You don't want to, you know, put that guy out there and have him have to having to fight through something that he's not particularly good at, especially when you guys had Josh Bledsoe, Tyreek Gillespie, guys like that that could kick down and be able to cover in man. So made perfect sense. From the Chiefs' perspective, they need a guy that can be relied on to call the defense after Anthony Hitchens moves on. Now, Anthony Hitchens, not getting any younger. We all know the history with Anthony Hitchens. He did have his best year as a, you know, as a football player. I was getting ready to say as a Chiefs, but yeah. even, you know, even with the Cowboys, best year as a football player this past year. But Anthony Hitchens is a guy that does the bulk of his work pre-snap getting everybody lined up, getting everybody on the same page, sniffing out offensive concepts, and then trying to get guys to play 
quickly and get to the spots there. And when he's on the field, they look like a much different defense than when Ben Neiman, Darius Harris, guys like this that had to call the defense over the past two years looked. Nick Bolton's going to bring that same thing to you, except Nick Bolton's going to play behind the line of scrimmage. Like, he's going to be able to blow plays up behind the line of scrimmage. Anthony Hitchens may not be able to get there. Nick Bolton will. Now, I know I just said that he doesn't have great athletic ability, but he is explosive, and he does well to slip blocks and diagnose blocks, stack guys in the gap. He can play between the tackles very, very, very well. There was a reason why he was our linebacker, too, for a long time in the KC draft guide, and it wasn't because of his coverage ability. It's not like we we turned on other games and went, oh, wow, he really can't cover. We knew that the coverage ability was lacking, and he was still way up there because he was such an elite run defender in the SEC. He has, like you said, a nose for the ball, plays behind the line of scrimmage. He's going to set up more second and 12, third and 10 situations because he's going to be able to get downhill and play that way. You need a guy like that. It's hard to come by guys like that. Guys like that don't stick around for very long. The NFL scoops them up, and especially in a situation like the Chiefs were in, where we know the New Orleans Saints, who also need a linebacker like that, mm -hmm. were about to snap him up. They looked at their roster and said, we can move on from Anthony Hitchens next year. We can get a little bit better. We can play a little bit more behind the line of scrimmage while still having this high IQ guy. Yes, he may not have the elite coverage ability that we would hope for a Mike linebacker to have, but that's why we have Willie Gay. Like mm -hmm. He's got the athletic chops. He's got the ability to do that. So if we have this guy in the middle that's next to Willie and saying, hey, Willie, be on the lookout for this. This concept's coming, X, Y, Z. All of the sudden, that makes your entire defense better. You get, you still get those negative plays. You still get the coverage ability out of Willie Gay. It makes some sense why they would go after a guy like that because, frankly, guys that have his IQ, his explosiveness, and coverage ability, we call them Devin Bush, and they go in the top <laughs> ten. So yep. it, it's hard to get a guy like that if you're the Chiefs. So I can get why, you know, if Brett Veach and Andy Reid are sitting there and Steve Spagnuolo sitting there at the end of round two and seeing Nick Bolton just continue to follow them, that they could just be like, listen, we're, we're not going to get better at Mike, like without trying to draft a kid because we're not going to spend $18 million on a Mike linebacker. So mm -hmm. let's hope that this kid falls. I think he's a better Anthony Hitchens and that's why it makes some sense. There you go, Josh. I like it. I Let's mean, raise those spirits. optimism every raise once in a while. Yeah. Now, I didn't, I, I, I didn't mention the words positional value once throughout that. <laughs> That's great. You didn't. And we appreciate that. As Mizzou fans and as Chiefs fans, we appreciate you not <laughs> digging too far into logic in that situation. <laughs> in that, in that scenario. I, I did hear um, on the Times Ours podcast, uh, Nate Taylor was talking about potentially pre-draft. They were kind of targeting uh, a middle linebacker position kind of coming up as a uh, a need Every, everybody kind of knew that a linebacker was also a need but it seemed like more people were focused on offensive line depth uh the edge rush and maybe you know secondarily and the wide receiver too obviously is also in that and then whatever else after that is gravy it's totally fine um there was also that report where 
they were asking Nick Bolton about his conversation with the Chiefs, and he kind of gave him a little, you know, a little smirk, a little grin. So mm-hmm. I wonder if this was all kind of not necessarily like him falling, but Chiefs and Brett Veach and Nick Bolton all kind of being on the same page, like you know, we think you're going to be there when we need you in the back of the second. And yeah. that's where we'd love to have you type of thing. I do think because we know that they met with Bolton three times, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they, you know, they were paying close attention to Nick Bolton there. They were paying close attention to a lot of mm-hmm. guys. Zoom has made that a lot easier oh, for yeah. them, just to be clear here. It would, you know, sure. that's why we're not sitting here being like three times. That's something to pay attention to. They met with a lot of guys three times. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, I do think that before the athletic testing, which was, again, not great, but before the athletic testing, I could have seen the Chiefs maybe taking him at 31. Mm -hmm. Now, that would have been a much tougher pill for (laughs) some people to swallow because you basically would have gone, you know, running back, linebacker, linebacker with, you know, consecutive (laughs) and then interior offensive line and Creed Humphrey Uh with your first two picks of the draft for the past two years. And again, positional value, that's not, it's not ideal, but I do think that they've been interested in him all along. And it's because of that IQ. We Mm -hmm. know Spags wants those those dents meaning you know big thick heavy can play between the tackle linebackers that are super smart and we we know that willie gay is kind of he's big and dense and athletic and all that but he had a little trouble picking up the playbook last year if you listen to the pressers you can kind of hear them talk about how he was one of the guys that really struggled not having an offseason last year so that that's their coding for listen we don't know that he knows where to be yet so i i do think that they think that nick bolton can come in immediately and play though so the very worst you have some insurance in sub packages that nick bolton can play until willie gay is ready and then you get your athletic guy in there oh yeah very worst case nick bolton's probably going to play 40 to 50 percent of the snaps and that's that's pretty good i mean especially yeah. for a second round pick second that's round, really good the second round so, yeah oh yeah yeah there was plenty of uh plenty of edge rushers and wide receivers like we we're talking before we started recording this is plenty of guys there that could have been taken and, and i think it would have been a universal you know acceptance and cheering a celebration yeah. but uh, uh we at least are very in on the nick bolton pick and speaking of super smart Maybe we always talk about, you know, every, when everybody's zigging, you zag. Maybe Brett Veach, Andy Reid, they don't take your positional value and they, <laughs> they're zagging. When everybody else is saying running backs or linebackers are not worth it, they're going to zag. I don't know. That's tinfoil hat they're situation. Go, they're going heavy personnel. They're going to force right. everybody into their base. <laughs> we, we said it with Kent. Maybe we're going back to Marty Ball. Bully Ball. Know. Yep. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. why do you need like, a generational quarterback whenever you, can you just it. punch people in the mouth on a regular basis? I'll tell you what, Kent would have an aneurysm <laughs> if they went to bully ball with, with Patrick Mahomes playing Patrick quarterback. Patrick Mahomes is a he, game manager now. Oh, no. Oh, he would lose his mind. I think I'm here for it. I kind of hope that happens. Yeah, that would be that would be fun at least to see the chaos. Team chaos. There it is. Team chaos. What, right. a, what it did kind of prove, though, we, we asked Kent about not having a first rounder now, not having a third rounder now, and being stuck in the second with two, do they really approach that with best player available or is it best player available at our biggest needs? And they kind of show 
we're going with the our favorite player, even if mm-hmm. it's not an immediate need right now. We know we're going to need him down the line, and he's a really good football player. So that kind of answered the question after that. And I think you guys touched on that as well as far as as far as positional value goes. Everyone else kind of got a different value, positional value compared to what the Chiefs do and what they do value. Oh yeah. Yeah. Brett Veach, we we know he talks about his tiers all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And he does not put guys in positional value tiers like it, right. it's they're all loop you know lumped together like if he goes through and he puts a you know a 90 grade on Clyde Edwards Alaire and it's right next to the 90 grade on Jalen Rager and right next to the 90 grade on Cesar Ruiz you know if they're all equivalent positional value may factor in a little bit there but he's also not going to try and reach for a guy in a tier below that because he sees oh well wait a minute that's a running back. I don't need to take that in round one. No, he's just going to take the running back because that's yep. the best player on his board. We've now seen it time and time again. We've also <laughs> seen him, you know, not necessarily panic. Panic's not the right word, but seeing the end of the tier, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he's got the group of guys and all but one are eliminated. He'll trade up for that. Go up and get them. Yeah. Go up and get them. That's exactly what he'll do. So he, he definitely has a way of tiering those guys and it completely ignores the positional value. And mm-hmm. I can't argue that Nick Bolton and Creed Humphrey are, you know, weren't the best players on the board for there. Would I have spent a pick on Diami Brown and Joseph Osai? Absolutely. But I'm also not the one that's looking at it from the standpoint of these are the best two players. I don't care that they play linebacker and interior offensive line because they're going to come in they're going to play a lot year one, and we're going to be able to move on from guys in the future. We don't care that wide receiver two and edge two are currently a little bit more unsettled than we liked. We'll try and fill those later. It's about taking the best guy on the board right now. A lot of NFL teams don't draft like that mm-hmm. at all. Like They just simply do not draft like that at all. So it is a little bit of an adjustment. When you're when you're a Chiefs fan and you're looking at it because it's easy to complain about that sort of thing. Yeah. But at the same time, if you can go into the draft with a lot of your holes filled, it makes all the sense in the world to try and just catch as much value and then yeah. free yourself up to make moves later. So mm-hmm. it, they just weren't able to fill a lot of those holes before they went into the draft this year. Right. Well, speaking of catching some kind of value, mm-hmm. um, it seemed like they are taking a home run swing with uh, Joshua Kando. Um, two words that we keep hearing outside of, God, he's got such a great first name, is <laughs> athletic and potential. And it seems like, you know, the obvious one, the obvious, you know, raw, athletic, freak of nature, everyone immediately goes, Tano Passigno. Uh-huh. And everybody went there. I'm pretty sure Mel Kuyper is the reason that everybody immediately goes there. Nobody has talked about like athletic testing or the, the raw or relative athletic scoring that, uh, that kind of went through. You guys mentioned a little bit that that's not even close to this, the, the, the right comparison between Kendo and Passigno. Um, so what can chiefs fans realistically expect from Kendo in the short term and also the long term? Well, to address the Tano thing right up front <laughs> mm-hmm. here, Tano was a ridiculously athletic 290 pound man with freakishly low body fat. Like it, it, he was 
a monster in the way that very few 290 pound monsters are. That didn't mean that he was particularly explosive. It didn't mean that he was particularly fluid or flexible or any of the things that you kind of look for out of your edge rushers. You know, he made a lot of sense as like a three, four defensive tackle or a sub package rusher, which is kind of where he migrated by the end of his career right. in Kansas city. We'll see what they do with him in new Orleans, yep. but if he wasn't, a guy that had played a ton of football and it showed in some of his diagnosis and everything like that. Joshua Kando has played a lot of football. Joshua Kando was a stud defensive end coming out of high school. He was the number one defensive end recruit in the nation. Bama wanted him. Clemson wanted him. Baylor wanted him, you know, and he settled at Florida state. So he went to the only school can't train defensive linemen how to be better <laughs> defensive linemen. <laughs> I don't know why you went there. I don't want to speculate or anything. But it was every time you guys talked about Kando, you always mentioned the Florida State coaching, and I they're loved so, it. Listen, loved they're it. so bad. Like, <laughs> listen, Mar Marvin Wilson was a, was another guy. Janarius Robinson. These are yep. all guys that went later on in the draft. Marvin Wilson didn't even get drafted, and he was the number three overall recruit from that class. Like it was, it's a situation where they just weren't able to get what they needed to out of those players. And so a lot of times when you see a group of those guys for consecutive years, not yeah. really live up to their potential, you start figuring out why, you know, the coaching staff is not putting him in the best chance to succeed. So he is a ridiculously athletic guy. He's got all the potential in the world. You're going to give him to Brendan Daly. who's one of the best defensive line coaches in the NFL. And you're going to put him in a room with Frank Clark, who is one of the best teachers on the field. Like if you watch him at training camp, he, he will instruct every, he got more out of Breland speaks in that training camp that I was there watching him <laughs> than I, than I saw out of Breland speaks at any other point in time. So he's in good hands. Now that being said, I love that. Love those words. Short term. He's probably not going to play. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's going to take a while because like I said, he has not, He's not really put on a lot of good weight. He's not really developed too terribly much. He does not have a plan. The way that he wins is just pure athleticism right mm -hmm. now. Like he knows how to do the things, but he doesn't necessarily know why he's doing them. Like he's mm -hmm. not seeing an offensive tackle set a specific way and try, you know, adjusting his pass rush based on the way that that offensive tackle setting, he's just going to kind of hit him with whatever and see what happens. He's got to learn all that because that's going to matter in the NFL. He can't just win with that athleticism anymore. So I fully expect that we're going to see essentially a redshirt year out of mm -hmm. Kando. Now, year two, sky's the limit. You know, if this kid figures that part out, can chain that stuff together, he's got one of the highest upsides of anybody in the class at defensive end. And the reason why people weren't talking about him in that way before the draft and why we had him as low as we did is because he just doesn't know what he's doing. It's mm -hmm. pure athleticism and pure, you know, he's just a raw a ball of clay that you've mm -hmm. got to shape. So I do expect that he's in the best spot for us to get the most out of him as Chiefs fans. So I think that we'll see that, but I do think it'll be 2022, 
maybe even 2023 before we start seeing him be that guy. But once that happens, it might click over in such a way that we're talking about, okay, well, we're going to have to pay that guy 20 something million dollars because he's an elite pass rusher now. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know that there's a gray area. I think it's pretty much he's figuring it out or he's not. And really next year is probably the more important year with the Mm -hmm. potential out of Frank Clark at that point. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I'm willing to wait on that kind of upside that, like you guys always talk about it on the AP laboratory or KC laboratory, I should say, um, check it out on all your local <laughs> podcast channels. Um, the, the home run swings versus the single swings. And I, I am very much in on anything past like second round seems to be a lot of home run swing taking. And I, I love the fact that they went after Kendo in that mm-hmm. capacity. Cause it does seem like, you know, ball of clay, Spagnola kind of type of guy uh, learning from the right people. It all seems very, you know, low expectations in the first year, potentially. I think oh, for it, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good recipe for uh, future success. And in, in a guy that, you know, you take in the fourth round and hopefully work it out type of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I was condoning for uh Vanderbilt's Deo Odiingpo who actually yeah. went before the chiefs first, second round pick. Yep. Like, obviously the Colts got some really good medical information on him, but I was under the impression <laughs> that the torn Achilles was going to keep him out for yeah. the majority of 2021. I condone for the chiefs to take Deo Odiingpo at the same pick that they took Joshua Kando. Kando's healthy, at least. Like, you know, he's he's going to play. He's going to at least have the chance to be active. So I cannot hate at all taking the flyer on the guy. Oh, yeah. If it hits again, whoo, buddy. You, high, high ceiling. Love it. Another big thing that Chiefs fans were looking forward to add in this draft was another weapon offensively uh, to give to Mahomes. And a lot of people wanted to go, you know, wide receiver two, take a swing there in the second round, Diami Brown types, whatever the may be. But it's it's kind of not a great hit rate on second and third round receivers. So there's a bust potential there as well. So I kind of like the approach of going after another athletic tight end. When you watch Noah Gray, it's impossible not to think of Travis Kelsey wears 87, the same face mask at the top of his route. He does that same exaggerated <laughs> shoulder shimmy yeah. to, to break off on his routes. I mean, uh-huh. he reminds me of Kelsey so much. I know he's a little bit lighter in the britches. He's a little bit shorter. So we're not going to see him you know, line up exactly like Kelsey, but I, I, it's also unlikely that we see them use him as a traditional tight end to an Andy Reid's offense, like a more hand in the ground, Blake belldozer type guy. So I'm very curious to see how they're going to use this guy because, like you guys have said, he he's not going to be brought in just to be a backup to Travis Kelsey if if Kelsey goes down. They got to figure out ways to use him. I know people on on the site and you, your podcast have mentioned a Kyle Juszczyk type role. I think he's probably the most famous guy that runs that role in the league that people know. And so I, I wonder how much we see him in that role because I, I got to use him, right? They they, they got they got they got to come with a different kind of approach here, freshen up their mm-hmm. system, keep de- defenses on their on their heels a little bit. So so give me some Noah Gray. What are we gonna what are we gonna see him doing? Oh, we're gonna see him be just ridiculously handsome. Though. Yes, I mean like hey, the, the I like man. That. Listen, I'll tell you what, the Chiefs know how to draft handsome tight ends. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah he does. He looks like Travis Kelsey when he moves out there. That that nuance at the top of the route that you're talking about with the shoulder shimmy and the head fakes and stuff like that. The way that he gets defenders to bite on that is absolutely uncanny. And Travis Kelsey does that all the time. We see him juke defenders out of his shorts because he does stuff like that. Noah Gray is that same kind of route runner, like you said. 
a little smaller. He's not necessarily going to be able to stack a safety and shield him away from the ball or anything like that, but that's why you put him on the move like a use check. You use him as that kind of fullback, H-back kind of role. Put him on the move. He's a willing blocker, not necessarily effective, but if you put him <laughs> on the move, then he can put that, you know, his explosion and his athleticism into the block a little bit more, and he does a little more damage. He can kick out a defensive end if he's got a head of steam. Yep. If you ask him to just kind of line up and do it, not much. But Andy <laughs> Reid loves running those tight end screens. He loves running leak concepts. He loves running all kinds of misdirection. We've seen Travis Kelsey get more and more integrated with like those those shovel passes, the underhand stuff that that Pat does with him. And you know, we've seen a lot of leak concepts that are based off of that motion in the past. Now all of a sudden you got two guys that you can do that with, and you can run them as kind of like mesh options with the leak and with uh, like, it gets so much more complex. And on top of that, he is going to be a better blocker than a wide receiver. So you could see some teams now, not all of them, but you could see some teams that like to go into their base when they see two tight end sets, you're going to put a linebacker on Noah Gray or a linebacker on Travis Kelsey and as we all know, that works out very poorly for the defense when that happens. <laughs> so I, we're going to see probably an increased effectivity in the run game if defensive stay light because you've got this guy that can kick defensive ends out and allow you know Lucas Niang or Orlando Brown to climb to the second level and annihilate a linebacker. Or you get defenses that go a little more heavy, and now Noah Gray is a pass-catching weapon that you can use in all sorts of creative ways because he can move, he's good with the ball in his hands, and he's really slippery in the open field. Like, he makes a lot of guys miss in the open field, too. He's an absolute steal. It was one of those situations that we did not expect Noah Gray to be there yep. when he was. Like, we projected him late third, early fourth-ish when we expected him to actually go off the board. So the fact that he was there in the fifth round and Brett Veach was able to get that split of the picks where he didn't actually give up a pick. He just moved back, moved up and moved back, basically. Being able to do that was such a big, big deal in this draft. I think we're going to be talking about Noah Gray this year a lot. I just think that they're going to use him a lot. He may not get volume touches, but the ones that he's going to get are going to be quality. <laughs> and we have an entire offseason to just steal Kyle Shanahan's plays. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> How oh they use goodness. Kittle and him together. <sighs> yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Travis Kelsey isn't going to have to run, you know, 40 yards downfield on some of these routes because that's what the tight end's supposed to do. They give it to the kid. Let Travis <laughs> catch a win, catch a breather. <laughs> yep. I love it. I how dare you guys make me fall in love with Tommy Trimble, by the way. I <laughs> I know. Blindly, I don't know anything about Tommy Trimble going into the Casey draft guide. This is your fault. It is my fault. But and to I be fell fair, in love, and then I was heartbroken. Yeah. Tommy Trimble, better blocker than Noah Gray, not as good as a pass catcher as Noah Gray. So like we're it. basically, it, it's basically trading a little bit of the blocking. You know, mm -hmm. the reason we love Tommy Trimble is because you were going to allow Travis Kelsey to do all the things that he could do as a move tight end. Now you're changing Kelsey's role a little bit. That's fine. Six of one, half dozen of the other. They're still right. two good weapons. I sure wish Andy Reid could scheme plays. I tell you, <laughs> that guy. Boy, if he ever figures that out, he may yeah. have a future in this business. I mean, I tell you what, he could be a Hall of Famer. Hall of could Famer be. at this point. Could be. Let's if talk only. a little bit about, uh, we started to talk a little about adding weapons. Um, 
we mentioned that wide receivers potentially a uh, area of need going into the draft a lot of mocks a lot of people thought that maybe they would take some kind of wide receiver two type to fill the sammy watkins role uh veach did hint that there was maybe some potential free agent signings to be had uh, on the market period but looking at that wide receiver group is not super uh <laughs> encouraging is the right maybe word yeah um, so we got a lot of potential targets. Uh, Sammy Watkins was when he was on the field was a big deal. Where are those targets going? Is it going to be, you know, Clyde Edwards, Alaire stepping up, McCall Hardman getting schemed into it, Cornell Powell uh, getting drafted, uh, DeMarcus Robinson came back, Pringle, Tajay Sharp. I mean, they've got Antonio Galloway. They've got guys. Where are those options going? Uh, and what can we expect from the passing game to kind of make up for the fact that Sammy Watkins is a wide receiver, wide receiver two slot is not there anymore. Yeah, that's the uh, what was Sammy making last year? That's the eighteen million dollar question. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's right. that really is it. Which one of those guys is going to step up and claim it? I do think it's an open competition. I really do. Um, I know that Brett Veach mentioned Antonio Callaway by name, and a lot of people got excited about that. Same with Byron Pringle, but then he made sure to go. We haven't seen these guys on the field yet. Like no. we haven't seen what they look like on the field yet. We haven't done installs yet. I think that that's going to be a little bit difficult for some of those new guys to come in and be able to play because we know that like, it's not like a completely structured offense that nobody can do anything in because obviously Demarcus Robinson is here within structure. Demarcus mm -hmm. Robinson, not the best wide receiver in the world out of structure. Really good. Really so good. Yep. I, really good. So I do think that he's going to get the first shot. I think Byron Pringle is going to get a shot as well. I think this is actually going to open up McCole Hartman to run a little bit more from the slot. Like he's mm -hmm. not going to be competing with Demarcus Robinson for some of those slot reps. I think we're going to see maybe a little bit more slot usage out of him. That could be good for him as well with his route tree and his development. I am very curious to see how quickly Cornell Powell picks up this playbook though, mm -hmm. because Cornell Powell has a lot of the hallmarks of an Andy Reid X receiver. He's at a hell of a run blocker. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. just an absolutely tenacious run blocker. Deceivingly he's beefy. Six foot tall, 210, I think beefy. is what it was. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's rocked up. Yeah, boy. he yeah. is. Yeah. Um, contested catch guy. He He's going to be able to shield guys out. He's got long arms and good huge hands 10 inch hands just an absolute vacuum at the x receiver not going to take the top off of the defense mm -hmm. and andy reed was really that guy i mean jeremy macklin had some vertical ability but he's yeah. not people don't think of him traditionally as a burner i guess i mm -hmm. shouldn't say he still had plenty of speed fair. but for sure but powell is going to be kind of like a jason avant type be able to work underneath route guys up because he does have good route running ability. It's just, he doesn't have that high end athleticism. If he picks up that playbook quickly though, like you're going to see that guy on the field because he does all the little things, right? Yeah. And he's also cocky as shit. <laughs> I love that about him. I absolutely do. This man will yap. He will get in cornerbacks heads. Like we, we saw him at the senior bowl when we went down to mobile and he was just destroying cornerbacks and letting them know about it the Love entire it. way back to the huddle. Like they're jogging back down the sidelines and he's just got, he's just, uh, you know, pivoted 
looking directly into the ear hole of the cornerback and the cornerback's just shaking his head with his head down like just the entire way back <laughs> he has a dog mentality i Love it. he he's a kansas city wide receiver through and through so if he gets on the field early i think it's going to be hard to keep him off just because of all of those little things that he does and the impact that he makes is going to be so big but I don't think he's going to get first shake. I do think mm-hmm. it's going to be Robinson. I think they're going to try and get Pringle on the field. It's just, if he takes it, I don't know that he's giving it back. You got to like to hear that. Yeah. So the sixth round rolls around and I'm seeing chiefs are coming up best players available. I see scroll and I see Trey Smith sitting there, David Moore out of Grambling, which you guys said really oh, showed out David the senior, senior bowl. Mm-hmm. I see those guys sh- showing out and I say, let's just continue putting huge human beings on this offensive line and sure enough Trey Smith comes up I'm thrilled because like you're talking about earlier this was a recruit everyone was talking about coming out of high school and so I'm sure when when you're uh, recruited like that at for every college in the country that wants to have you it's got to be humbling when the NFL draft finally comes and you're sitting there in the sixth round and he you know in his interview he's talking about being undrafted and and having to accept that and so i mean uh, that's got to be a crazy feeling for him so let let us know why he dropped like that and why he still has that serious potential to be a super impact player because people are talking about him being possibly the steal of this draft oh absolutely he was the number one overall recruit in the same class that kendo was the number three overall one so the chiefs (laughs) just went out there and just went listen this is we really liked this high school recruiting class we're gonna go ahead and draft (laughs) him Go ahead and invest uh, heavily in it. Yeah. Trey Smith, uh, two years ago, had blood clots in his in his lungs. And he was having to take a bunch of medication, and he couldn't practice. He practiced twice all year that year. Man. So roll around to this next year. Tennessee worked on his medication, tried to you know work with him to figure out a way to make that better. And they were able to get to the point where he was able to do some practices during the year and they felt like things were pretty good but once again they were worried about him because he was taking blood thinners that if he got a concussion that he would then you know bad things would happen on the bad field things. <laughs> so yeah bad bad things but the cocktail of medications that they basically had come up with right there at the end at Tennessee was something that was working, wasn't putting him at the same sort of risk that he was with some of the other stuff beforehand. And the chief's medical staff has been working really close with Tennessee's medical staff to figure that stuff out and get that kind of translated over. His hope is that he's full go. And if he's full go, there's zero reason why he shouldn't be the right guard, the starting right guard in 2022 after a year to learn the system. Now, not only is he potentially the starting right guard, we comped him to Colecchio Simile Mm -hmm. for good reason, because he plays exactly like Colecchio Simile. He is an absolute mauler. He will blow gaps open and he is a finisher. Now, he wasn't able to move particularly well over the last two years, but some of that's because he was struggling to breathe. So <laughs> there's a lot of questions about him you from need to a, breathe in order to yeah, move. That's weird. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I've especially been able to move and not breathe ever. <laughs> yeah, well, you you and I are not trying to play right guard for Patrick Mahomes, though. That's that's it, a valid that's point. I think that's very valid. But uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a situation where if his medical's clear, he's absolutely the steal of the draft. It's just, 
teams had to feel very comfortable with it. And it took to that point. And Brett Veach knew that that was his guy. That's why he did the split with the Noah, Noah Gray picks. Mm. He knew that that was the sixth round pick. Like, we got to keep this spot here. We can't let somebody else just take a late round flyer and try and get this guy in house. They believe that they figured something out and that they could catch him that late. Now, yeah. let's say he gets in the hat in the building and things aren't going great. It was just a six round pick and it that's is right. a gamble that's worth taking. Trey Smith has a huge chip on his shoulder. Now, obviously, you yep. know, he, he, he had round one bus coming into this year. Right, mm -hmm. Let's just be frank. Like he, he could have gone round one if he was fully healthy he wasn't. This is kind of like the Maurice Hurst situation from a couple of years back where he had the yeah. heart condition and he fell to late day three and he was, and he's been good in the NFL since. So the hope is that Trey Smith has his medicals figured out and everything like that, just for the player himself, whether or not he was a chief, just for the player himself. But if he clicks for the chiefs, now you're talking about Niang, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith on the right side with Orlando Brown Jr. and Joe Tooney. And that's four years yeah. of those five that you can basically count on being linchpins of your offensive line. It will help offset some of the cost of paying Joe 100%. Tooney and Orlando Brown yeah. because you got three other rookie deals. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about this surplus of money that we've got. And, you know, you can spend on other positions and Patrick Mahomes is protected like it it's a win-win-win situation for Trey Smith I'm glad he got drafted I'm glad he's on this team I hope the medicals are good because I I I'm pulling for the kid he he's he's such a good dude too so I'm I'm really pulling for him seems like he is uh absolutely one that plays angry and I am oh, very yes idea oh that. yes <laughs> do not let Patrick Mahomes uh, hit the ground and mm -hmm. I'm uh, I'm very much into however you play I don't care oh, how yeah. it is absolutely I'm, I love to watch people play angry but uh, you know whatever you need to do just make sure Patrick Mahomes is not on the ground this is usually the time where we go a little bit lighter we have a little shenanigan little uh, poke heavy you know let's have a little fun type of thing but Craig being a, a laboratory employee as you've been for the last few years you've done a couple you know you're very familiar with lab rats correct you've done yes uh i i have been one from time to time yes okay. so we are going to have you test out a new uh shenanigan that we're going to call goldilocks and the three takes if you will <laughs> so the okay. uh everybody knows about goldilocks you know porridge and what what have you um, too hot, too cold, and just right. We both got three takes centered around this draft. And I'm going to need you to tell us if this take is too hot, too cold, or just right. So love it. You love had, it. Did you happen to dye your hair just out of curiosity? No, I mean I I could if you wanted me to. I could I could go get this blonde, just it's more just like the beard. Auburn locks in the three Auburn takes. locks, red locks, like yeah. ginger locks. Yeah, <laughs> we're pro ginger on this podcast. Just hey, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. Clearly, so right out of the gate, Brian, I'm gonna have you start it off with your first take of this draft. Go. Hot take number one: Trevor Lawrence's career will be like Matthew Stafford. All the tools career QB one that's not question put up huge numbers but he'll never win enough games to be considered one of the best in the league 
I think that's just right. And I actually like what Jacksonville is building down there, but man, it's just really, really hard to turn around a franchise that significantly. They're putting a lot on him, a lot on him with the offensive line that he's working with. I feel like they're they're trying to build something. I mean, I I I feel like of those two situations, because when the when the Lions drafted Stafford, like I I mean, that was a signal from a mile away. It's like, yeah. well, he's good, but yikes. <laughs> I, I think that they've got a better chance to turn it around than that Lions team did, but I do think that that's just right. I could see it failing for sure. Interesting. Okay. So Brian got it just right, right out of the gate. It's a good mm-hmm. start. It's a good start. My first, the Chiefs drafted two pro bowlers in this class, two different pro bowlers. Oh, I'm going to say... I'm at, oh man, I'm I'm gonna say that's too hot. Too hot. I am gonna say that's too hot. And I think that they got one. And I think mm-hmm. that it's I think that it's Creed Humphrey. Yeah. I think that he's I think he's gonna play for a long time. And I think he's gonna catch a Pro Bowl at some point. Um I think Bolton is going to be a good player, but with linebackers getting faster, more coverage oriented, I don't know that he's gonna have the coverage stats to really gain, you know, a Pro Bowl nod sure. at any point. That's not saying that he's not going to play to a really high level. I just think that he'll get overlooked. And then after that, you're banking on a lot of day three guys. And yep. while I I could see one of those guys slipping in there, I I love day I love the day three class. I don't think that it's going to be more than once. I'm I'm gonna say that's just just a tinge too hot. All right, I'd rather have it too one. hot than too cold. I'll take one. All right, hot take number two. Quarterback prospects should not be labeled generational talents when they're going to play in the same generation as Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> too cold. Way too cold. There needs, it needs to be way scorching hotter than that. Don't, uh-huh. don't even mention generational quarterbacks for another 20 years after Patrick Mahomes. This is the best player to ever play the game ever. I am not like, listen, Tom Brady's the goat. Patrick Mahomes will be there before it's all said and done. I fully resolutely believe that. So trying, I hate the word generational to begin with. I really do. And I use it on occasion and then I cringe in my head when I say it, (laughs) but I, I hate it when people use the words generational quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is awesome. Trevor Lawrence is going to be good. Trevor Lawrence is not going to be Patrick Mahomes. There's only one Patrick Mahomes. He is the guy. That's what I want to hear. I like it. I like that a lot. All right. My next one. Creed Humphrey spoke about him a little bit so far. He's going to see 90% of the offensive snaps in 2021. 90%. I think that's just right. I, I really do think that that's just right. Creed Humphrey is very sturdy doesn't miss a lot of time he's played a lot of games he's a very smart guy that called protections for several different quarterbacks under lincoln riley's complicated oklahoma offense so i i do think that he is uniquely equipped to come in day one and call protections it's not always going to be pretty i i, I do think that he's going to struggle with power a little bit with some of the more powerful nose tackles that are coming up but i think he's going to be the guy day one i think he's going to call protections because 
why not get him integrated early if you know it's, it's not like Austin Blythe is some shining beacon of center mm-hmm. play here it's not like they've got a stud that's already in house get the rookie in the game early improve that communication between him and Patrick Mahomes so yeah no that's that's just right I think that's right about where they'll play tie ball game Ryan what do you got <laughs> final take the biggest waste of a talent among the first round draft picks was Rashad Bateman because the Ravens already have Hollywood Brown, Sammy Watkins, and oh yes, their passing game stinks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's about right. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it, that's that's about right. I mean, listen, I that's that's like adding oh, what's it's like adding quarterbacks to the Chiefs roster. It's like what are, what are you going to use them like? I, I get it. Lamar is trying to improve that sort of thing. And I actually, I really like Rashad Bateman. I yes. really, really, really like right. Rashad Bateman. 100%. I just don't get spending that high of a pick on a weapon for him at this point. I just, I, they've got a ton of excellent tight ends that he uses really well and play really well in Greg Roman's scheme that utilizes tight ends ridiculously well. Mm-hmm. He just, doesn't maximize wide receivers like ever so now you're all. spending another high pick yep. on another wide receiver that you're not going to maximize i it's a waste to me mm-hmm. i'll tell you what he shot bateman should just come to kansas city yep and we'll, we'll take good care that's of that's fair that's yeah that's yeah we, we can, can give them ben even <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i love up. that i love Let's that trade straight up <laughs> I think that's uh, that's dumb for them to pass that up. That's mm-hmm. when best player available goes wrong. <laughs> that is. That's right. It's true. What that is. All right. My final pick. We got a two to one game here. There okay. we go. Okay. This 2021 draft class is going to be Brett Veach's best collective draft class that he's had so far from 2018 to 2021. I'm going to tie it up. I think that's just right. I do. And I think, and I think it's entirely because I think the, the stabs that they took in, in day three are very worthwhile. Like if, if any of those guys doesn't work out, I'm happy with the picks. Like I can't always say that about the, about the, the swings that they've taken late in the draft. There's been a lot of guys that have been like, all right, well, that's, that's a thing that you did and we'll see how it works out. (laughs) Like I absolutely love day three of this draft and, Again, like I said, I think Creed Humphrey is going to start for the entirety of his rookie career, and I think that you've got a Mike linebacker, the future, and Nick Bolton. So in that regard, if you get one of those day three guys to really hit in a big way, and I think that that's where the the big potential is in day three, like if Kane Doe turns out to be a starting defensive end for you, slam dunk, easy best Mm -hmm. draft for Brett Veach here because those first two picks – very safe picks they are going to play a lot. So you've got the floor already. Now the ceiling comes in day three. So yeah, I think that that's an easy, I think, I think that's about right for, for awesome. the, which uh, take. I think that's saying quite a bit. 18 and 19 draft classes were pretty meh. I mean, they did have some good, yeah. good picks in there, but yeah. that 2020 class with CEH, uh, Willie Gay and Yang, uh, Sneed, Mike Dana and Bo Pete keys. <laughs> I mean, you've got four genuine starters out of that group. So I you hope, like, yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You think that 2021 20, is better. I think that's saying a lot. 
I, I'm very I, in on that. I and I think if well, Willie Gay's got to get on the field in yes. a big way. He, yep. he can definitely take that as as the high upside pick there. Lucas Niang's got to get on the field in a big way as well. I just after that, there's there's nothing really. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be what he's going to be, and I think he's going to have a really good year behind this offensive mm-hmm. line. So I'm not trying to say that that's a bad pick by any means, but it is Additional a value. Back. Yeah, it is a run <laughs> back. So I mean, yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, I I do I do really like that draft class. Jerry Sneed obviously is the the biggest blue chip player blue chip that Brett Veach has oh, had yeah. yet, and Joshua Kando could overtake him. If he uh-huh. So uh-huh. I wow. just saying, uh-huh. same trend. Brett Veach knows what he's doing in the fourth round. Apparently, see here we are. Last time you came on after a draft, you made me fall in love with Clyde Edwards Lair. See what he's going to do to this offense. Then you give me Willie Gay. Tell me it's Derek Johnson. Now it's Joshua Kando. Not only having the best damn first name in all of <laughs> all of mankind, but now he's going to be better than Legarius Sneed. What are you doing to me, Craig? I'm just. I have trying, a high man. blood pressure as it is. What are you doing, Listen, to me? man? Listen, everything's all sunshine and rainbows for me right now. I can't, sure. I can't be mad. You can't 100%. get me mad right now. So yeah, like I'm, it. I'm just all on board with everything that's happening right now. Would you <laughs> say that you're letting it fly? I might be letting it fly just Let a it little fly. bit. Let it fly just a little bit. Well, we we had another blast with you, Craig. Uh, every time you come on, you 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 always bring your great information. <laughs> but I feel like you know the 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 energy that you bring to us is is always very good you're always very enlightening we really really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us again this time everybody listening to this podcast right now if you enjoy what craig has to say or just want to hear the great coverage that uh, he's able to provide go check him out at barley hop on twitter always great takes on there and then go check out the casey laboratory always Always. every time it not many people have a hundred percent like a batting average of 100 Craig Stout, 100 hitter right now. Uh, you're full of shit, Josh. Well, I mean, <laughs> we like to butter a little bread while we get in here, but we <laughs> g- genuinely think that uh, that you guys know what you're talking about for the most part. Compared to us, I mean, I called uh, Nick Thune or Nick Tune. Who knows where I'm at? <laughs> Nick Jonas. Who knows where I'm at? Nick Jonas. Yeah. Scott Jonas is on Scott the new Jones. edge from the six. No. But we always appreciate you having a Craig. Take, thank you for taking the time to talk to us once again. We will see you next time, man. We really appreciate it. Hey, pleasure's all mine, guys. Love coming on. Love talking with you guys. Thanks again to Craig for joining us for that great interview. We really, really appreciate it. We're going to get to some Royals talk. We're, we're through Royals review. It's time to talk Royals. We'll do that right after this. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. (laughs) Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. All right, we're back. 
ready to talk some Royals. Uh, it's not going to be the highlight of this episode, but we've got about three months coming of pure Royals uh, goodness coming right now. Um, but we've got some takeaways. Royals are in first place in the division. Really, really good uh, standing in the American League. Uh, still flirting with the best record in baseball. Uh, meeting with the Indians again tonight. I think it's been uh, a tie game last I saw with some uh, kind of sloppy sloppy play going on in that uh, in that game tonight but uh hopefully we'll see the boys blue pull it out at the end but we've got some takeaways from the last few weeks what we've been kind of seeing uh we've got some uh hashtag analysis coming for it so kitty haven't heard from you at all this episode we're starting with you you're leading us off baby oh boy you're Merrifield right now uh <laughs> what's uh what's the big takeaway that you're kind of bringing to the table um for the royals and what what they've kind of shown you this last two weeks well, it's kind of the the bullpen sort of starting to work itself out where mm-hmm. guys are getting into their roles a little more because kind of I think we all thought at the beginning of the year was kind of a free-for-all for some of those positions. And the biggest question mark was, was it going to be one of the super old dudes or some call them veterans to <laughs> be a reliever? Be, or be a the big closer, distinction. To be the closer or one of the new guy, or younger guys step up. And it looks like we got one to step up, and that's uh, – well, Stalmont with mm-hmm. uh, three saves so far, mostly in all, I think we've all three in the last two weeks. So looks like we've got a new closer and he's coming out of the gates firing and looking good doing it. So firing is the key word there. Throwing Exciting. absolute gas. Yeah, he's, I saw. I think he's not even hitting not, his 103s or anything yet. Right. I feel like it's no. going to come when he builds his strength back up. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, he's not even at where he was last year where he was getting those triple digit readings on the radar gun basically every time he pitched. So yep. looking forward to that coming forward down, but nice thing. So without the hundred, maybe he's got slightly more command this year with his pitches, possibly don't mm-hmm. know if that's the full thing, but he's down to 3.8 walks per nine, which is always nice to lower yep. that walk from five and a half or 5.6. And the nice number is the two and a half hits per nine so far. That is <laughs> nice that'll do mm-hmm. i mean leads you to a you know your, your whip is below 0.7 you're doing something good on the mound so mm-hmm. it's nice to see that era 0.63 as well and so it's just he's getting it done and i like to see it and it's even if it's a little smoke and mirrors it's got to help a guy's confidence to know to be pitching this well as early come out of the gates and even with a new role for himself on at the major league level to be getting it done early mm-hmm like those confidence builders for those, for some of the guys that don't have a lot of service time in the bigs. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm, we, we kind of talked about it in the past where we thought Stamont was the most gifable pitcher, the most likely end up on like pitching or a pitcher list or a pitching ninja gif. Um, so it's good to see that, you know, he, he's able to put that success together. Like Brian said, without that 103 mile an hour hitting, um, he's still striking dudes out, still keeping, you know, his walk rate in a reasonable area. But like Kitty said, not giving up hits is a big, big deal in that in those late high leverage situations, very into that. His K rate is still very, very good. Not what you're kind of used to seeing. He's only got an 8.16 uh, K per nine going on. Still very good. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's still very, very good. Uh, still averaging. I think there's only been two, three outings, maybe where he didn't record a strikeout in his work. Um, so I think you're still going to get those nasty, nasty pitches. 
uh, it's good to see that he's still finding success, even though he's not necessarily striking out everybody he sees like he was last year. Right. Yeah. It's nice to maintain success when you're not up at that 13 strikeouts per nine, where you're actually balls are getting put in play a little more, but they're getting in. Obviously it's been some weaker contact because they're mm-hmm. not getting hits off him. So it's, yeah, it's just great to see maybe a little bit of progress out of him as a pitcher, maybe a little yeah. more development. Last year he had a third, he had a 12.97 K per nine, but a 5.61 walks per nine. So I'm totally okay with him bringing that K rate down as long as his walks are also coming down. I think exactly. that's a, that's a big step. And like you said, consistency, uh, straining in good appearances every time he gets out on the, on the mound. I think that's a big, big deal. So I'm into it. I love that Josh Stalmont closer role. Brian, what's your, uh, what's your big takeaway for the last couple of weeks? Let's talk about consistency here because my, my call is Danny Duffy is a huge reason this team's been winning as much as they have, and he's not getting enough credit for it. Honestly, I, yeah, I, he's been nails every, all five of his starts. And I know it's, it's easy to say five starts. How does he have that much impact on the rest of the games? But we've seen other, every other starter have a rocky start here or there along the way so far. No one's had good games in all their appearances. And when you add those up back to back and you have to go to a bullpen really early in the game and that stacks up, if that keeps going and Danny Duffy is not who he's been and been the stabilizer for this team, this ship could have been capsized and all this rocking around. <laughs> and when, when you have a guy like he's been the ace of this staff and coming mm-hmm. this season, we didn't, ex- no one expected him to be the ace of the staff. And when I say that by ace of the staff, I, I don't mean he's just the best pitcher. that's going to win almost every time he goes out. He's also the pitcher that you can count on to give you the innings. So your bullpen can get a break and get back in, in the reset out there and not the more you use the bullpens, the more you have to rely on the bottoms of your bullpens. And mm-hmm. so when you, when you get a big reset day with Duffy, when you, when you go to him and say, Hey, we need six out of you and he can give you six or seven innings. And that's exactly what he's given in all five of his starts. He's got a 0.60 ERA, 0.97 whip, 34 Ks and 30 innings pitched. Uh, he's been huge for this team and he's just kind of kept his head down kept his mouth shut, just went about his business and, and been the veteran that we kind of thought that Mike Miner was going to be, or we mm-hmm. kind of thought that, you know, we all just assumed Keller was going to be the Clydesdale like he's shown all, all before, and Lynn told us to pump the brakes on that. I still blame Lynn. <laughs> Lynn, it's all your fault. <laughs> Keller fell apart. He's going to come back. I still got faith in Keller. But uh, what Duffy's done and what he's meant to this team so far is I think it's been very understated. Um, when you look at the numbers uh, – looking at his uh, in and out of the zone is very similar rest of his career, but the big difference this year has been an uptick in his whiff percentage. He's, yeah, he's, buddy. A, he's a career 24% whiff percentage guy. And this year he's been 30.2% whiff. And that's a big deal when you get guys yeah. to swing and miss and get swing and miss stuff. Cause he's really kind of working with the same stuff he's had his whole career working in and out of the zone. He's, yeah. he's really using the top of that zone with his fastball well and not making huge mistakes there and, and turning in the huge run. So, I mean, we, no one expects this to continue with the, the ridiculous ERA and the whip. It's, it's going to come back to normalize a little bit, but what he's done to start this year with how rocky the starting pitching staff's been is, is just exactly what you want out of your veteran guy. So I think he's been huge and just needs to get more credit. It is very interesting that he hasn't really added anything, but he is in the 70th percentile on whiff percentage. He's in the 72nd percentile on chase rate, 74th percentile on K percentage. I mean, that's not 
that's not what anybody expected in the in a Danny Duffy this year. Right. And I think, I think part of that is attributed to kind of how the league's moving. A lot of more guys are swinging for the fences. The batting averages are way down across the league. Strikeouts yes. are up as always home runs. They're all going for, for the big bombs. And I think maybe he's kind of taking advantage of that approach, realizing that that's what they're doing and maybe attacking them maybe a little bit differently, but whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's working. Keep doing your thing. Bury him a Royal. Let's go. I'm into <laughs> it. Danny Duffy. You're the man. Love you. Yeah. I mean- I agree. The rest of the rotation has been a disappointment to say the least uh-huh. so, outside of singer has been good, but then yep. just the other three guys that we were kind of counting on for some consistency of that, or the other two, at least for sure with Keller and minor, just, it's just uh, frustrating to go out there and watch those guys struggle as mightily as they have as with expectations coming in. So Duffy has definitely yep. been that. You always want that stopper as they say in the rotation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Put the stop That's to the losing streak, put the stop to, yeah, exactly. It puts a stop to bullpen getting out of out of whack. So yep, it's been yep. nice. It's been nice to see. And you know, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing. We kind of mentioned about the Stamont as far as like defined roles. Stamont kind of eventually went and grabbed that closer role at the at the moment. I mean, that could change tonight. It could be uh, it could change tonight. Uh, I think he did pitch twenty one pitches last night, so maybe not tonight. But you know what I'm saying, like. It, it's a fluid situation, ever evolving. The Danny Duffy could be the ace for the first month, and then Mike Miner turns it on, and then Brady Singer comes around, and then it just kind of uh, uh, the torch kind of gets passed whenever you don't have the guy, you don't have the Scherzers, you don't have you know the guys that are the established starting pitcher ones in your staff. You kind of pass the torch and kind of you know uh, help each other out in that situation, being that stopper. So I'm very interested in that uh, in that situation moving forward. But I am very happy that Danny, Danny Duffy's the guy right now. Yep. Um, I'm going to stick with the pitching staff. Uh, we've <laughs> talked two pitchers, and we kind of came up with our takeaways uh, solely without really consulting each other. We should probably talk a little bit closer next time. We'll see how it goes. Maybe some of these batters cough cough Andrew Benatendi Carlos Santana need to get some love as well but I'm also going to stick with the starting pitching uh, rotation there was a an uh, MLB debut last night with Daniel Lynch one of probably the best pitching prospect in the Royals organization a very deep pitching class I think is across the board Daniel Daniel Lynch uh, debuted last night against the Indians my prediction going in, I thought it was going to be a pretty typical, you know, uh, debut from a rookie. My prediction was five and a third with three hits, three earned, four walks, six Ks, and 87 pitches. He actually went four and two thirds with four hits, three earned, four walks, three Ks on 74 pitches. Uh, I think there was a pretty fine line in between, you know, the pitch count how many walks he had. Uh, There was a couple different jams that he got himself into, got out of most of them, um, but he wasn't able to get out of that last one before they pulled him at 74. Uh, So I think that, you know, I would label that as a pretty typical prospect debut. I think, I I don't think the bar was super high. I think we wanted to see him go eight strong, unearned, you know, uh, untouched with 12 Ks. 
but I don't think anybody had that as a reasonable explanation or expectation at this point, but uh, um, didn't go deep. It's fine. He had seven swings and misses, which is fine. You know, I think that he was, you know, potentially expecting more from that, but you know, debut and all emotions are running high. I think the big, you know, that's the big takeaway from last night is being able to contain those emotions and throw strikes. He did that sometimes he didn't at others. So I think that's always going to be the knock against him. But um, I think the dynamic early in his career is going to be his awesome stuff that he's got versus the controlled command that he has each and every night. That's, you know, that's the, that's the tail of the tape. That's the name of the game for any of these pitching prospects at this point. Um, When they first come into the league is, are you going to be able to figure out how to control your stuff against major league bats? They're the best in the world for a reason, folks. And uh, you're going to be able to have to prove that your stuff is very good, but also very controllable. And that's always the best thing. So you're always going to be constantly figuring out his great slider is nasty, just pure filth. I love his slider. And you kind of saw that on demand or on display with the Josh Naylor attempted swing. I think I made the joke that it was kind of like me trying to swat a snake with a canoe paddle. It very much uh, reminded me of that, but his slider is nasty. He was only hitting about 94, 96 last night, where I think his usual sitting point is like 95, 97. So maybe he was trying to contain those emotions a little bit too much, uh, or maybe he was just, you know, that's where he's going to sit in the major league, uh, in the majors. So we'll see, we'll see how that kind of goes on. But there's only 11 pitches where he didn't throw either a slider or a fastball, and that's two curveballs and nine changes. Neither one of them are expected to do very much, but they're very complimentary. They're going to throw the batters off a little bit more. Um, but his bread and butter is going to be that fastball and that slider combination. So you're always going to you're always going to be tri- like walking the line of control and stuff with Daniel Lynch. And I think that you kind of saw that with his first debut. what do you guys think about Daniel Lynch at that point? Yeah, I appreciated too, that he didn't give us the robot lies that a lot of guys give after their first debut, they go out there and he was like, he just admitted that he was just so, so jacked up. Like he, he said he couldn't see, which seems like a, <laughs> a bad thing. If you're trying to pitch baseballs and not be able to see. Sure. So, I mean, I think that's uh totally fair i think that's just human emotions everyone feels it and some of them lie to you afterwards and say that they didn't feel it and it was just another (laughs) game but total bullshit but he went out there and he felt those jitters and uh knowing you know after he admitted after game how much of those he felt and how much they were affecting him to know that he didn't get completely just manhandled out there Mm -hmm. i think that's a promising sign because like you said the stuff has always been there that's why he's such a high prospect he's got the tools so I think once he kind of settles down and gets more of like comfortable with, with this role and comfortable pitching at the big leagues, I mean, he could get nasty if he starts locating those nasty pitches like he's gotten. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting. I mean, watching, watching last night, you know, people ask, well, what did you think about it? And it's like, it was okay. I mean, he's got the stuff, but he probably wasn't locating where he wanted to. He wasn't blowing guys away like you'd love to see. A, a prospect come in and just immediately blow away Jose Ramirez and Fran Mill Reyes. Uh, you know, I, I, that's what everyone wants to see. It's just not likely. He's still got to figure out how to attack guys like that and yep. uh, work on that control, get those jitters calmed down and get, and get more to just what he's natural at. Mm-hmm. Not to mention yeah. that strike zone was trash. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that uh, The defense picked him up early and most yeah. uh, throughout this whole night too. So that had to be a, uh, 
a welcome sight to see uh, some major league defense in center field after the first ball that was hit for him. So, <laughs> oh, this is what really good center field play helps you do. Uh-huh. That's nice. I like That's defense. Right. Good point. <laughs> and they 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 jumped on those early fastballs too. Sons yep. of yep. bitches. <laughs> it's playing dirty. Why don't you give him a give him a grace period, you dicks? <laughs> um, I, I love to see Daniel Lynch debuting. Obviously, I think the entire Royals kingdom was very uh, excited about that. But him debuting is kind of an indicator of what I'm more excited about. And I'm more excited about that this is yet another message of this. It's time to go. Like, this is what we're here. We are in a position to take control and be contenders and open this window and smash that door down. And I think that's the big indicator to me that I'm jacked up about is that this is more evidence of the Royals organization as a team, as an organization, as a coaching staff from top to bottom, feeling it in their bones that it's time to go. And I'm pumped and jacked up about that because I have missed watching fun baseball and these Royals have not lived up to what they're even capable of. As mm-hmm. of last week, they had two guys above what two thirty hitting, and now <laughs> yeah. and now we don't have Mondesi. Hunter Dozier has been absent for most of the, most of the year. He's starting to turn it on a little bit more. Jorge Soler has not been Jorge Soler that we know. Um, it's time to go, and and they've found success outside of those guys. We talked about a little bit about last week that they're just finding ways to win outside of you know. Uh, everything clicking one night you know it's a starter picking up it's, it's Danny Duffin shoving for seven innings of no hit you know no earned run ball it's the offense exploding for 14 runs it's the bullpen shutting door on a 3-2 game it's just it's different ways to win games whereas the last few years have just been different ways to lose games <laughs> the Royals could have done plenty of things to avoid starting the clock on Daniel Lynch's service time. Their reason for calling up was to get better at the back of the bullpen because it had been a little shaky with Holland, been a little shaky with Barlow. Wade Davis has been not at all what Wade Davis is, uh, Mm -hmm. what Royals fans kind of think of him as. But Jesse Hahn's still on the IL. Kyle Zimmer hit the IL. They decided to move Jake Junis to the pin, who had been shoving in the Royals rotation. Maybe if you subscribe to the Baseball Savant StatCast numbers, you could think that, you know, this is just the Royals kind of getting ahead of him getting blown up in the rotation. He was getting a little – he was getting hit hard. So they moved Junis to the back of the bullpen. You can still, you know, throw Love Lady out there. You can get a spot start from Irv Santana. You still have a five-man rotation of Duffy, Miner, Keller, Singer, and Bubich at that point. If you need a spot start, you get Irv Santana. You can call up Rich Lovelady. You can call us Carlos Hernandez. You can call us Ronald Bolaños without having to make a 40-man move where they did here. And they said, no, damn that. It's time for Daniel Lynch to get up here and start making his, start cutting his teeth type of thing. And that, along with all the things that they've done, they signed Carlos Santana, they signed Mike Miner, they traded for Benny Benatendi, called up Singer, Bubich, and Isbell. They flirted with, with BWJ, Bobby Witt, in spring training. They extended Salvi and Dozier. They surrounded the teams of vets like Holland Wade, Dyson, and Santana. And now they're prepping Jake Junis for the bullpen role. This, these are all indicators of it's time to go. The window is opening. Now is the time to start contending for this AL championship, this AL pennant, at least the AL Central. 
and I'm jacked up about that. Daniel yeah. Lynch is yet another indicator of of where we're headed as an organization, as a fan base, and as a team. Let's go. You didn't even mention adding LC's Escobar to this minor I league mean, system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could not believe that. That is that is something else. Well, it makes total sense. I, I think, you know, they don't have organizationally a, a, another or shortstop guy, veteran guy that's really ready to contribute. He's just sitting around training and not really in anybody else's system. Right. So if he's willing to take a triple A role, more power to him. <laughs> Let's go. Let's get this magic back. That triple-A uh, infield is quite um, full with yeah. Lucius Fox, Eric Mejia. I mean, they've got dudes. Eventually, eventually they might have one of these, you know, uh, Nicky Lopez. We'll see what happens with uh, with that when Monty gets back. But um, it's going to be a little jam-packed out there. So I'm curious to see what happens to the LC to Escobar and Omaha type of situation. Yep. I, I'm looking forward to it because they, they were talking before the game tonight about how the – the, the Omaha pitching staff is not your typical AAA pitching staff that usually has some journeymen in there that aren't good enough to be on the majors. They've got legit young arms that are ready to break down the door and come up anytime they're ready. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much the same way with the field guys. I mean, Bubba yeah. Starling, kind of a different player. McBroom is kind of in – they're kind of the veterans of that, you know, Omaha infield, outfield. So – I mean, there's exciting guys at every level of the minors ready to come through. It's, it's an exciting time to be a Royals fan. I think I saw Jackson Coar debut at Omaha tonight. Went five and a third, two hits, no earned with nine Ks. Well, that'll yeah. do. That'll do for <laughs> Jackson Coar in Omaha. Triple yep. A, that'll do. Speaking of that'll do, that'll do it for us for this <laughs> awesome episode of the Clearing Waivers podcast. Shout out to Craig Stout. Uh, go check him out on the Kansas City Sports Network. Uh, Casey Laboratory, also on Twitter at Barley Hop. Uh, you can find all of us on Twitter uh, separately, but also at Clearing Waivers. We're also on Twitter. We also love to, to talk to you guys a little bit about what we've talked about this week. Um, go share it with a friend. Go subscribe. Go like us. We appreciate all the uh, uh, support. We're going to take it as validation. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe a false validation but we appreciate all the support regardless even if it's you do don't do any of that and just listen to us uh ramble into these microphones greatly appreciate everything you guys do for us but for kitty and brian and myself we appreciate you one more time ta-ta for now